<clears throat> Mike, are we all set? Cool. So uh, today we're going to carry on with some um, some fundamentals. We're going to look a little bit at um, articulation today, or uh, otherwise known as grace notes and stuff like that. I'm here with Carl. Carl's here. I think that um, Vin is probably not going to make it today because uh, he's got a crazy day going on. But um, <clears throat> Carl, if you're here, why don't you why don't you turn on your stuff? I'm totally here, man. Um, okay. Just gonna get these going on here. So, who could tell me? Um, I guess who could tell me if they watched the uh, uh, the Winter Storm broadcast this weekend? Did anybody get a chance to check that out? Tim watched it. Gunners watched it. Cool. Anybody else? What did you guys think of it? Gail was there live. That's right. We got to meet Gail. Tim gives us an excellent plus. <laughs> cool. Well, yeah, it was a really fun event, and uh, we used the live stream um, software and technology to, um, you know, to live stream the event, and it was in pretty high quality. We had a little bit of camera problems on Friday, but we still managed to keep the feed going, and, and the sound was still good, so and then the concert was, was really great. Um, you can actually still see the concert. Um, it's embedded on the Winter Storm site. So you could still technically buy tickets, um, like as if you were going to watch the Saturday, and you'd be able to go on there and watch that. That'll be up there for a couple of weeks. So um, you guys can check that out. Gail has a perspective of attending every year except the first year. It has gotten more regimented and lacks the humor and interaction in the early years. I also find it hard to hear the pipers when combined with three drummers. Yeah, the, the concert, I know this year in particular, they're focused on making the concert run a little bit more smoothly. I think one of the biggest complaints that, that they had had over the years was that it lasted a really long time, um, and it was too long, and there was too much downtime in between sets. Um, yeah, Gunners, if, as, long as, you have, if, as long as you bought a ticket for Saturday, you can still go in as if you were watching on Saturday and you can watch the replay of the show. Yep. So, um, so there you go. Anyway, um, thanks for those who supported the event. Um, we're just, um, we're just actually about to send all the proceeds from that event to winter storm. So anyway, uh, we thank them for the opportunity to do that. Um, okay. Well, uh, today we're going to, we're going to talk about articulation and we use the word articulation. Um, instead of talking about grace notes and doublings, because we sort of believe that um, grace notes and doublings are all part of the articulation umbrella. So instruments articulate um, <clears throat> their melodies and their rhythms in different ways. All right, can anyone give us maybe a couple of other examples of articulation in uh, other instruments? 
like maybe some of you have even had some experience with snare drumming or maybe you've had experience with other instruments. What are some of the ways that we articulate our notes? Adam Quinn is typing. Please, uh, everyone type in. Let's keep things going on. So Adam says, tonguing on clarinets and saxes. Yep, so that's uh, exactly right. So, um, and it's the same goes with, I guess you could say, most woodwind instruments. Um, and even, I would say, most brass instruments as well are all going to use tonguing. Um, and other <clears throat> embouchure-related, um, you know, mouth-related um you know, things to articulate things in different ways. Henry says, uh, the guitar chord is actually a really fast arpeggio. Yep, that's, that's more along the lines of, you know, um, scale navigation, but certainly strumming the guitar chord is sort of um, one of the primary, you know, articulative actions that a guitar player would use. And you can also pick the strings as well. You can do the sort of finger picking style. Um, Tim says, placing of accents. Yep. Uh, snare drumming uses placing of accents, and then they also use different um, stick colorings and actions um, to articulate as well. So you, uh, you may have heard rumors of like a dead stick, uh, which is a certain type of articulation on the drum. And uh, anything that you know uses the word dead with drummers, I'm usually happy with. So dead stick. That was a little joke, a little drumming joke. <coughs> yeah, and uh, different tapping techniques if you're playing like uh, bongos or congas or whatever. Um, you know, I would say flams, you know, if, if you look at a flam, that's also a type of articulation. So it's a way of, uh, it's a way of separating notes and it's also a way of ornamenting notes and that's that's generally, I think, what I'm referring to when I talk about articulation. So, uh, so here we go. I'm just gonna. Um, this is gonna be sort of like a mini class today. Articulation and and uh, for bagpipers, um, grace notes and doublings are the main form uh, of uh, you know the main types of articulation. Uh, we we also do other things to ornament the music. But to me, I'm going to sort of group that more under dynamics. So we do expressive things, right? We do bending and stretching of different beats and notes and stuff like that, which we'll definitely we'll talk about in a future fundamentals class for sure. But we do, um, and, and so we do expressive type things. But as far as articulation goes, we use grace notes and doublings, all right, to um, articulate the different notes that we have. Okay. Um, now, um, our grace notes and doublings are super important for us. So I would say this. For most instruments, um, articulations are not actually, and I have to be careful. I have to be careful now. I have to think about this to make sure I don't screw it up. Um, okay, let me go backwards. Uh, for most instruments, grace notes and any combination of grace notes are going to be uh, purely um, ornamental. <laughs> is that a word? Ornamental? Yeah, you bet it is. 
Yeah. It sounds like a combination between like, you know, ornaments and also like ornery. But uh, for most instruments, grace notes and combinations therein are going to be purely or ornamental. So we, we could actually look at the snare drumming example. And, and do we actually need flams or drags or, or roughs, I guess, are, um, you know, would be a combination of grace notes? Like maybe, depends who you ask. Uh, but those are not actually essential. You can make rhythms on the drum without those things. We don't actually need them 100%, but instead we're going to use them to ornament the music and to make it more interesting. But the point I want to make is that for bagpipers, um, we will use grace notes for ornamental purposes, but for bagpipers, grace notes um, are actually essential in many cases. And the reason why is because uh, we cannot actually start and stop the airflow to the chanter when it's connected to um, the instrument itself. Or obviously we can start and stop it, but it's a big, long process that certainly would not allow us to create music. As most of you know, it takes several seconds to start your pipes up. And it doesn't take long to stop your pipes, <clears throat> but if you wanted to start them back up again, it would be several more seconds. Right? So how do we separate notes because obviously sometimes we want to play two of the same note in a row all right so is everyone following me there when i say that um, we actually need grace notes so grace notes are not just an ornamental thing everyone following me and hearing me okay give me a yes when when i ask if you understand me see see if you can give me a yes in the chat box and that lets me know that you guys are Still out, still out there. Perfect. Look at all these yeses. Great. So sometimes we actually need grace notes. So uh, a good example is Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. If we tried to play Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star on the bagpipes without grace notes, it would sound like this. Which is actually kind of a nice melody. Um, but it's certainly not twinkle twinkle little star unless each of those notes is separated right into two notes um, And so that's what the grace notes for so go ahead if you want to grab your chanter, but um, Listen to how I can separate the notes with a grace note now Okay um, and using a grace note, now we get the actual full melody of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, um, you know, now that we have grace notes at our disposal. Try to do that on the bagpipes without grace notes. It would be impossible. So these are what we call, so in the Twinkle Twinkle Little Star example, these are what we call, at the dojo, we call these grace notes of necessity. We actually need to have those grace notes in order for the tune to come out. Um, you know, jigs are another great example of grace notes of necessity. Okay, in that, whenever we have these these triplet rhythms, triplet, 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 that's sort of the jig feel. And sometimes we have notes that that have the triplet feel, but we're always on the same note, right? And that's where GDEs come in, right? GDEs, um, are, you know, while we can go from note to note, are sort of there. They're, they're fundamentally there for us to be able to split 
a note in three pieces really easily. Uh, now, we could play Cork Hill. That's the tune I just played. We could play that tune uh, without a lot of the grace notes, but the GDEs are absolutely necessary. So let's go back to Cork Hill. Let's listen to it without any grace notes. Right? So um, it, it still has a kind of an interesting melody to it, but it's not Cork Hill, is it? It's some other sort of melody. So the grace notes of necessity are, are going to be what gives this tune life on the bagpipes, right? Now, if I were a clarinetist, I could play Cork Hill without articulations quite easily because I can start and stop the sounds with my tongue. Although I'm out of practice, so and I've never really played clarinet, but I presume that's sort of how they would do it. So can you see how uh, if I play clarinet or violin, I can get the tune out without grace notes. But as far as the bagpipe is concerned, we actually need them. So here, here's Cork Hill with maybe some of the bare minimum grace notes, right? I actually don't need the first one, do I? Right, and of course, some of these grace notes we'll get into, even though they're not 100% necessary, do actually help the tune um, go forward. So is everyone understanding that <clears throat> in the case of the bagpiper, grace notes are um, needed. They're actually a necessity. Bagpipes cannot exist with certain grace notes. All right. Now, um, one of the things that I want to point out before we go too much further is that not all, you know, we sort of pointed out not all grace notes are totally essential, but we might use them anyway to ornament the tunes. One of the big um, philosophical uh, things that we do at the dojo, which are different than a lot of other schools of thought, is uh, we do not consider um, embellishments to be essential to bagpipe music. Okay, uh, I believe, and uh, it's it's definitely the way that we teach here, is that embellishments are um, optional. And we usually do want to play embellishments, I certainly do, because it's gonna make the music a lot more interesting. But uh, we actually don't believe that embellishments are um, absolutely essential to creating good bagpipe music, all right? Uh, embellishments are a logical next step to making bagpipe music more interesting. But certainly as we're learning how to play and as, we, uh, as we're learning the fundamentals, now, we're not going to try to play embellishments until we've mastered uh, sing single grace notes. So we're going to master those grace notes of necessity. <coughs> then we're going to learn a few ornamental grace notes. We're going to learn the basic system of grace notes that we use on the pipes. And only after that will we add in the um, embellishments. And Henry types in, as a beginner, embellishments break up your music. And that is completely true. And that's why we, we, we do not teach embellishments early on in the process is because rather than focusing on trying to get the embellishment to come out even sort of correctly, right? That's not what we want to focus on before we've mastered getting tunes to come out musically. All right, so, <coughs> and there's, it's been maybe slightly controversial. Uh, you know, we've written about this in The Voice and 
Uh, it was criticized by uh, the Green Book. Now, in, in the uh, the College of Piping tutor um, and the other tutors, they they teach a more linear approach where the embellishments are built in from the beginning, um, and that's their philosophy, and that's fine. Um, I, I just thought I would uh, point out that uh, embellishments come later for us. Okay, we're going to learn the basics of grace notes first. Okay, everybody's following me so far about grace notes of necessity. Okay, so let's talk what, what we sort of call, just sort of, uh, it's nothing official, but the next big thing <clears throat> is that, um, you know, once the, the bagpipe caveman got through the grace notes of necessity phase, okay, um, <clears throat> so we can say, picture the, grace, uh, picture the bagpipe caveman, need grace notes to separate notes. Okay, after, uh, but soon after this skill is acquired, and by the way, I have no idea if they're bagpiping cavemen or not, but just sort of picture the general evolution or thought process, right? which you should also go through as a beginner. You should, you should build it up from the beginning. <coughs> soon after we develop the skill, um, We start to want more, and we play around with adding grace notes in spots where they aren't really needed. Where they aren't really needed, but they sound cool. Okay. <clears throat> All right, so pretty soon, after we've just gotten through Twinkle Twinkle Little Star with a few basic grace notes, um, we start to play around with the idea that, wait a second, <clears throat> we can play grace notes on any finger, and we can also play grace notes when we don't actually need them, okay? And what happens is uh, a rhythmical framework quickly develops, all right? So you could go through this from the beginning, but what happens is we start to, we start to learn tunes with grace notes, and we start to learn that framework. Certainly with the dojo tutor, we're teaching that framework from the very beginning, Carl thinks they were totally bagpipe cavemen. I mean, I know, according to legend, that the McCrimmons played a lot of Pibrock uh, in the caves. So at the very least, there were bagpipers in caves at some point. Um, but, uh, <clears throat> but anyway, back to the narrative. So um, once we've mastered grace notes um, as a necessity, then we start to say, well, wait a second. You know, we have so many grace notes that are open to us. And, uh, you know, they do, they, are, they do sound pretty cool. And then you realize, wait a second, if we, if we uh, put together a little system of grace notes, it can help give a nice rhythmical framework to our tunes. Okay, so then, you know, then if we go back to Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, well, let's put a grace note on, um, on every beat note, right? Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, uh, star has a beat to it. So let's put a G grace note on the beat. Um, and then we'll we'll use supporting grace notes uh, to fill in the beats, and then we'll still have all the rhythm that we need, but we'll also have a nice rhythmic finger work. Uh, there you go, a little plug for Jimmy Gilvery's book. We'll also have a little rhythmic framework there that we can use. So you know, so fast forwarding a hundred years or a thousand years, who knows? But um, you know, fast forwarding quite a ways, we start to develop a rhythmic framework that uh, you know grace notes can provide. So we have. Mm -hmm. 
or maybe more realistically, maybe we do G grace notes with strikes, right? Right, something like that. You might also, you know, you might also start with just G grace notes, and then you might say, well, that sounds kind of boring, or, or it's hard to get good music out of that. Right? If you always use the same grace note, then all the notes sound the same, and we don't actually want that. Okay, good good music has notes of um, all different levels of importance, and we actually use grace notes to uh, show that importance. Um, just before we move on um, <clears throat> to new topics, who can sort of, um, you know, who can tell me? Uh, what grace note is the most important grace note that we use as bagpipers? You can tell me what that might be. There's one grace note in particular that's the most important. Rick says G, <clears throat> Tim Carpenter, like low G or high G? Um, I think uh, high G grace note. Okay, now. Uh, you're totally right about that. And if you look at our whole repertoire of bagpipe music, the high G is the main focal point. And um, that's totally the case. In chapter two of our tutor, uh, we teach G grace notes only, right? Because they're so important. You can actually play a lot of bagpipe tunes with just one G grace note that help you through it. But it helps to have a couple of supporting grace notes, which we talk about in chapter three. Now, that's interesting. Now, can anyone give some perspective as to why uh, the high G grace note um, is the most important grace note? How did that come to be? Why isn't it the F grace note or uh, the low G grace note or uh, the D grace note? Why is the high G the main focal point grace note? Guest Viewer 10 says it's the most usable. Uh, and I think I agree with you. It is the most usable. Okay, um, there, there are two reasons why that's the case. First of all, our pointer finger is our most agile finger. At least uh, that's my opinion, which I think is probably pretty true. And there's no doubt in my mind that's why we use it to point. It's because it's the finger that's <coughs> easiest to access, and it's the most agile. All right? Um, it's the most agile finger. And the other reason, right, we do have a D, but the other reason it's most usable is because it has a maximum number of notes under it. Okay? So the high G grace note has seven F, E, D, C, B, A, and low G underneath it, okay, which also makes it um, better. Are other people having trouble hearing my audio? It could be my microphone. I'm fine. Okay, so, um, so John, that's probably um, uh, a connection or audio issue on your end because most people are hearing me okay. Uh, make sure you close out of any other applications that use the internet, and that'll probably help you. 
Okay, so, um, all right, so, and it has the maximum number of notes under it. The, the side note, you know, we could take the thumb. Well, but why don't we use the thumb then? Because that has the most uh, notes under it. It's got eight of the nine notes underneath it. But remember, the thumb is not nearly as agile as the pointer finger is going to be. Not only do we use the thumb for, you know, uh, to cover a hole, but it also supports our chanter a little bit. So it's, uh, it's very difficult to use that for grace notes very often. Every now and then we slip one in when we have, uh, you know, <clears throat> notes to or from high G. We'll use the thumb grace note, but it's very rare, okay? So the high G grace note is the most important grace note. All right, and, and uh, therefore, the G grace note is universally accepted. And by universally, I mean every piper I know. The G grace note is universally accepted as the note that shows the beat or other really important points of emphasis. in bagpipe music. So um, I'll illustrate that a little bit, right? So, um, I don't know, Scotland the Brave. Right, we either have um, a G grace note on the beat or some other type of doubling, right? Um, <clears throat> Cork Hill again, right? All the G grace notes occur regularly on the beat. Right? And as a matter of fact, it happens on every beat where it's possible for it to happen, with the exception of some low G-oriented movements. Okay? And then we have supporting grace notes too, the D grace note, the E grace note, and strikes. Okay? But notice that th those are a second layer of importance. And we're really big on teaching the layers of importance at the dojo. So we'll start with basic scale navigation. We'll very quickly realize we're going to need some sort of articulative device to separate notes. All right, and that's that's where we learn G grace notes. Um, and, and chapter two teaches the, the basics of G grace notes and playing them on the beat. Chapter three is getting into the supported grace notes. So all those other guys, and only once we get to chapter four do we start to talk about um, embellishments and making the music more interesting. Is everybody, um, everybody following that? That's basically... Uh, um, all I want to talk about in terms of the actual theory behind grace notes for today, or at least the theory behind, you know, what grace notes we play where. Okay, excellent. Everybody else good? Any questions? Feel free to ask questions. I, uh, that's the whole point of this is to be able to interact. So. Okay, now let me ask you this. And those of you who, who uh, are at Dojo U all the time, maybe give other folks a chance to think about this and try to answer it. But, okay, so we have these grace notes, all right? And then how do we actually play a grace note? And the, the big, you know, the big question is, we can talk about sort of flicking the finger, right? So we, most of us know that a grace note is going to be a quick flick of a finger. All right. And sometimes this has to happen over top of note changes. So those are quick flicks of the finger. And then sometimes
right? So sometimes um, we need to do grace notes during note changes. So that's pretty straightforward, but I want to talk about what makes a grace note a good grace note and what makes a grace note a bad grace note. So um, I guess my big qu question is, how do you actually play a grace note? What's the objective? And I want you guys out there to type in some sort of answer to that. Hopefully, um, we have 32 viewers today, huge turnout. So hopefully, some a few people out of the 32 can tell us what's what's the best way to go about playing a, a grace note. Are there good are there bad grace notes out in the world? The answer is definitely yes. There, folks definitely play grace notes that aren't successful. So what is it about it that makes it bad versus the ones that are good? Guest viewer says, play it as part of the note it is being played on. Okay. The grace note is distinctly heard and not slurred. And you're a poet. Um, yeah, I think, I think those are good. Remember, we, we have to be as objective and we have to pinpoint this as well as we can. So th these aren't wrong, but let me know exactly what I need to shoot for when I play a grace note. Adding the grace note finger to the note it is being played on as a simultaneous execution. Predominantly play it on the beat. Now remember, that's not necessarily true. Sometimes we want to subdivide the beat with a grace note. So saying that the, beat sh that the grace note should only be played on the beat is not entirely true. All right, so let me take some of your, uh, I'm gonna take some of your advice here. I'm gonna try to make sure my grace note is distinctly heard. I'm gonna play it as part of the note that I'm uh, gonna play on. Uh, I'm gonna add the grace note finger to the note simultaneously, and I'll try to put the ones that should be on the beat on the beat. And then I'm going, well-played grace notes make music, poor grace notes make noise. Okay, now that's, a you know, that's an opinion, but I tend to agree with you. Okay, so I'm going to take all these suggestions, and uh, you, you tell me if these are good, right? We'll go back to the core kill. Ready? Here I go. One, two, ready, go. Okay, so... There, there, there I was playing Cork Hill. Uh, everything was on the beat. Everything was on the right note. Um, I played it as part of the note it was on. It was certainly distinctly heard. Were those good grace notes or bad grace notes? Grace notes are played very quickly, one thirty-second in time. Guest viewer 11 says there are non-musical grace notes. Okay. Good. I think this is all good. So what do I have to do to make the, the grace notes better? Steven says I have to play them very quickly. One 30-second note in time. Now, that's pretty hard to, for me to measure, but I'm pretty sure one 30-second note in a jig would sound something like this. <laughs> Thank you. 
something along the lines of that, right? It would be one quarter of the length of each note. Uh, those grace notes still don't sound very good, do they? Right, I guess McCall doesn't sound like that when he plays jigs. So I, I disagree. I think you're right, Stephen. Grace notes have to be played quickly. But I disagree that they are actually one thirty second in time. Um, does anyone have any other ideas in regards to, um, you know, in regards to how I can improve my grace notes there? Of course, you know, I, I have my own ideas, but I just I kind of want you guys to, uh, you know, I want you to think about. Okay, so you heard those grace notes; they're still not quite right. Must be played with the rhythm of the tune. Those were definitely played with the rhythm of the tune. Those are all right on with my foot and pretty steady. So I am playing them with the rhythm of the tune. Guest viewer asks a question. Full extension of grace note finger from the hole. I think I'm fully extending. I could extend more, but wouldn't that make the grace notes bigger? I think Steve, uh, Stephen Feldman has been the closest, right? We certainly don't want to make the grace notes bigger. We certainly have to make them smaller. But how small do we make them? Stephen says, okay, then 1 64th of a beat. All right, here, Stephen, uh, you're on the wrong track here, in my opinion, and I'll explain why. Um, proportionally dividing a grace note into a beat. Yeah, Stephen says fast as possible, and that is the correct, sort of the correct answer, which we'll talk about in a second. Here's the problem with proportions, okay? The problem with a proportion is, if I play this 1 64th of a beat, that might sound good here, right, uh, at this tempo. Right? Um, okay, 1 64th, but what if I slow the tempo down? Does that theory still hold true? So if I slow it way down, that means my grace notes are actually going to have to be bigger, right? And then I guess I would ask you, aren't all grace notes really the same size? Do you really play them differently depending on the tempo? I don't think that you do, right? So grace notes are always ex played exactly the same. If I play the grace note at a slow tempo, we don't want to play like this. Right? If we slow the tempo way down, those are still not very good grace notes, even though technically they are a, a 1 64th of a beat. Good. Okay. So we got some really good responses here. So uh, <coughs> Stephen came out with fastest possible. All right. And I think that's definitely very close. Some people said uh, grace notes need to be ASAP, and they're referring to as short as possible but still heard. Um, I small and correctly. I'm not sure what that means. Rick says quick, clear, precise, and distinct. Henry says, isn't the grace note not supposed to take any portion of the beat? Andrew says, as small as possible, <clears throat> but able to distinguish the note. And it depends where and why you're replacing. So Andrew is advocating 
different sizes of grace notes. Kathy says, I teach them slowly so they're executed properly. So they don't tense up. As fast as possible, but don't choke the hole. Susan says, snappy. Okay, so these are all pretty good. There's just a, a, a couple of things. Here's how I look at it and, uh, and how we teach it here, is that a grace note uh, should be uh, perceived as being infinitely small. Okay, and that's, by the way, that's why we write them above the line outside of the, um, outside of the main rhythm of the tunes, is that grace notes are percussive, okay? Think of, think of percussive events. Think of a snare drum. How long, how long is the note when a snare drum, when a snare drummer plays the note? How long is that note? Are you thinking about how long the note is? When the snare drummer plays the note? Or are you just thinking about the rhythm that it makes? And it's actually a percussive sound, and you're not really concerned about the length of the note. Okay? So it's not notated. <clears throat> and sure, you could have different types of snare drums would have different types of sounds. <coughs> but a grace note should be percussive. Therefore, when we play them, it's important to make them infinitely small. All right? Now, uh, infinitely small would actually not be audible. So um, our job is to is to make grace notes seem infinitely small, but for the audience to still be able to hear them. So it's very similar to the idea of as small as musically possible, except for we actually want it to be smaller than musically possible in this case as long as we can hear them. So we have a lot of synonyms here. So Susan said snappy, and that's exactly what this is. But we're, I just want to define exactly what snappy is. Snappy is infinitely small sounding, even though, but we, we do, it, do, it does have to make a sound, right? And then uh, the other, uh, other people say as fast as possible, but don't choke the hole. That's sort of similar. Uh, Andrew says as small as possible, but you have to be able to distinguish the note. I actually disagree with that. For the most part, we're not concerned with the fact that a G grace note actually makes a G sound. What we're concerned with is that we have a high-pitched percussive sound that's helping guide us through the music. Um, and you can disagree with that if you wish. Um, that's fine. That's just my opinion. Kent says, I think the comparison of a grace note with a drum beat is very valid. Yes, it is. It's extremely valid. And as a matter of fact, I, um, I always chuckle when drummers say that pipers don't really know anything about drumming because we know quite a bit about it if we're playing good grace notes. Because what we're actually doing is we're creating a percussive rhythmic framework uh, on top of the main melody of the tune, and that's how we make things interesting. Okay, let me illustrate this for you. So let's start with uh, a good grace note. Here's what I would consider a good grace note. Right? I'm playing a grace note there. Now, obviously, if we put that under a microscope, it's not infinitely small, but it sounds infinitely small to us. It sounds like, uh, and count up the number of notes that you hear, and this will prove it. 
Tell me how many notes that you hear in the following passage. Ready? All right. How many notes was that? How many did you count? Yep, Henry counted five. Guess viewer heard six. Okay, you just don't, uh, you just forgot how many noises there were. Guess viewer heard nine notes. Okay, let me play it again, and you definitely do not hear nine notes. Ready? Okay, that should, hopefully you heard five notes. All right. Now, it's true, you heard there were some grace notes in there, but you don't hear those as notes. You should hear those as articulations, okay, or percussive separations of the notes. Okay? Guest viewer is going to give me that. Thank you, guest viewer. Okay, so you hear five notes. And the reason you hear five instead of ten is because the grace notes are not, they're not given any value, right? They have no value in our head. They're just articulations. Right? Um, it's the same if a clarinet has played five notes. Right, we hear five notes there, and they're articulated by the tongue. It's the same as we have five notes here, articulated by grace note. I think it's a really important distinction, right? And uh, so we have to make these grace notes smaller than a melody note. Notice what happens to the grace note as we make it larger. Notice um, as, we, as the grace note gets larger and larger, it becomes less and less percussive, and therefore it's harder and harder to follow any sort of rhythm. So if I did if I did super huge grace notes, now tell me how many notes you hear. Right? That was something. Now that's ten notes, right? Right? That's when it becomes where the grace notes actually become notes and you, you start to hear them, right? And then when we start to play music with grace notes that are too big, it's very difficult to follow the music. Okay. It, uh, if my grace notes are not percussive, it will be impossible to follow that music. Does everyone understand my illustration of that point? And that grace notes need to be uh, we need to play them as small as we possibly can. The more percussive they are, um, the more, um, the better articulated our music will be. Okay? And as the grace notes become bigger, they become less and less percussive. Now, um, there is, you can play grace notes a little bit bigger. Like, I have bigger grace notes when I play than Angus McCall does when he plays. And you could say, well, that's because Angus is better. You could say that. But you could also say that I'm definitely looking for a slightly softer quality when I play most bagpipe tunes than Angus is. Angus looks for a very 
um, for a very articulate uh, type thing. His embellishments are very small, and it has a very articulate effect, and it's really, really cool sounding. Whereas people like Jack Lee have a softer sound. Right? Willie McCallum might be somewhere in between. But I would, uh, ooh, my lights, uh, my lights fritzing out over there. Um, and then, uh, so I would encourage you to do that. Listen to some, some of your favorite bagpipe players and see, are, are they approaching grace notes in different ways? Notice that all great bagpipers have very short percussive grace notes, but that some are actually shorter than others. And it produces a different quality. And I want you to think about this as you develop your own fundamentals. Okay, I would recommend starting your grace notes off as small as you possibly can. Super small and super articulate. Um, and <clears throat> over time, as you gain more and more control, you can experiment with slightly bigger grace notes. But anytime a grace note is played uh, too big, you're going to lose that percussive quality. And unless it's a grace note of necessity, which we talked about earlier, right? It's going to interfere with the music. It's going to interfere with it anyway. Okay. Articulations are are meant to be percussive, at least on the bagpipes. And you could say other instruments have articulates uh, articulations that aren't meant to be percussive, and you know, um, probably not worth trying to argue that. But grace note quality. Okay. Ninety. 90% of bagpipers have poor grace note quality, okay? And, and I, I think that's a really good, I think that's a really good ratio. I think I'm about right on that. There's a lot of pipers that make it to grade three or two in the solos without having developed a good sense of what good grace note quality is, and then they end up getting stuck. Once you have bad grace note quality, and if you don't, if you don't know where to look to fix that problem, uh, there's no farther you can go. Does that make sense? That's why understanding grace notes as articulations is so important. All right, everybody, give me a yes that you're that you're understanding so far, because uh, I want to I want to talk a little bit about embellishments today also. And we have a question. So, what's the best way to develop that quality? Um, it's a it's a really good uh, question. I think the best way to develop it is to first understand what you're trying to do, and then you want to go back to simple exercises. So I would go back to chapter two of the Dojo Tutor, and I would start with this. And I would start with just going up, uh, going up the the scale. Uh, and then uh, going down the scale, and then I would go into some more advanced exercises, more advanced exercises. I would try implementing it in some simple tunes, <coughs> okay? And I would slow down any of your current repertoire and really focus on getting those grace notes snappy. And uh, snappy is a quick way of uh, that we often use to talk about how they need to be percussive and articulate. Lee says joining the dojo is the best way. Uh, that's an opinion, which we don't Try not to propagate too many of those, uh, or at least I'm trying to cut back on my subjectivity here. All right. And then, <clears throat> thank you, guest viewer 12, uh, for our segue. We're going to talk a little bit about embellishments next for a few minutes. All right, now, <clears throat> this applies to embellishments too, doesn't it? 
Uh, the answer is yes and no. Uh, who can, or let me let me say, here's what I think. Most people think embellishments can be defined as follows. A combination of grace notes that sounds cool. Uh, does anyone have any problems with that definition? Combination of grace notes. Or you could just say this. I mean, we can get rid of the subjectivity there. An embellishment. An embellishment is a combination of grace notes. Guest viewer says a rhythm group of grace notes and short to long theme notes, I think is what he, what he, he or she means there. Okay. Good. All right. I, yeah, and I think you're right. I think you pointed out the error here. Embellishments do not contain only grace notes, and it looks like they do because they're written above the line like grace notes, but it's very important for me to make the distinction that it's a combination of grace notes and melody notes. Okay? I'll give you an example. My light keeps going out on me. Which is really annoying because it's a brand new light. Okay. All right. So, uh, a combination of grace notes and melody notes, and guess you're, you're correct. It's, it's a type of musical shorthand is the way they're written. For example, let's look at, let's look at an E, let's look at a C doubling. If we, who can break down into steps uh, how a C doubling actually works? For example, the way you might be tempted to say is to say G grace note, C grace note, D grace note, and then go to C, right? Okay, see you, Susan, thanks. So here's a C doubling. I've written it out as it looks on the page. G grace note, C grace note, D grace note. Is that how a C doubling actually works? A grace note played right. So you you're we're definitely getting closer. G grace note on C, E grace note on C. And by E you meant D. Yep. So so there we go. So we actually it's not just grace notes, it's grace notes and melody notes. As a matter of fact, you can't have a grace note without a subsequent melody note. Well, that's an interesting discovery. <coughs> Therefore, it's actually impossible for an embellishment to exist without melody notes. Okay, so play G grace note to C is actually the first step of a C doubling. And the second step is play D grace note on C. And that is what makes a C doubling. Notice how each grace note has a subsequent melody note. Let's do a little harder one. Let's do a light D throw. How do you play light D throw? Step one, play low G. Notice there's no grace note there at all. We're just going down to low G. Step two, play D grace note to C. Okay? 
and then step three, play D. And there are variants of this. Guest viewer says uh, that's how you teach them. Yep, I mean, there are other ways of teaching or playing the light D throw. I, I consider this to be a less musical option, but you could also do this, play low G, play D, play C, strike on D. Yep, and those are the steps. And then we also have the heavy D throw, which um, I don't teach very often, but you're more than welcome to play a heavy D throw. It would look like this, play low G, um, D grace note on low G. Uh, let's see, play C, and then play D. And that's what a heavy D throw looks like. So we can, we can go through some of these. Here's the C doubling. And the, you know, we obviously at the end of the day we want to speed it up. But our trick to learning and playing embellishments really well is that we should always be aware of the steps of that movement, and we should also we should always play those steps accurately and evenly, and ultimately quite quickly. Here's a light D throw. Or the other type. See, I don't like that as much. I don't think it has the same musical ring to it. Or here's a heavy D throw. Right, and we could play uh, there's a tune with some C doublings and some D throws. Listen to the second type of light D throw. It doesn't sound as good, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. I, I have trouble doing it because I'm used to the other one. And then lastly, we could do a heavy D throw, which sounds pretty cool, although it's very big, right? It takes a lot of time and space. And a lot of uh, a lot of notes away from the melody there. Okay. Thank you for commenting on the tone of my practice chanter. The C is actually a little bit flat. I need to get a new read for it eventually. I keep putting it off. Um, but, uh, but that's going to sort of wrap up my spiel. Um, and we talk a lot about all these topics at Dojo U. So if you're not yet a member and you want to take more lessons like this, man, we have a ton of them in the archive already. And we're talking, you know, we're, we're, we're going into detail on this more and more every day. But, um, you know, if we break down articulations and we really think about it musically, okay, that understanding is going to be at least seven-tenths of the battle is understanding exactly what we're trying to do. And I think that's where other uh, schools of thought drop the ball. And I'm not trying to insult any other schools of thought, but I, I think that it's too easy to lose track of what we're trying to do musically when we get into uh, the various assumptions, subjective ideas, and just uh, general open-ended concepts um, that, you know, they don't really lead us to where we need to go. Okay, so um, 
And that's this is how we break down articulations and embellishments in order to solve that challenge. Uh, or attempt to, anyway. And of course, every school of thought has, has strengths and weaknesses. So. Um, <clears throat> so there we go. Well, let's wrap it up for today. Uh, thanks very much for coming. And let, definitely let me know of any last questions you have. Um, at Dojo U, we have open dojo sessions, which are, um, you know, if you do have any questions, as a Dojo U member, you can always tune in and ask the instructors any questions that come up. So, so any, anyway, there you go. There is, um, there is our art of articulation lesson. We'll be back. Maybe we'll do some more fundamentals next week. We'll see, or we'll see what we're in the mood for. Um, but we'll see you next Wednesday. In the meantime, uh, thanks for coming. You're welcome.